Thank you. Thank you to Coleman Domingo, our guest for today on Everything Acting Podcast. And I'm going to throw this into iRoz, my mm -hmm. app. Fabulous. Because you are an artist of inspiration, and I am thankful to be able to go and see your work and just the, the level of storytelling, artistry, heart, everything was so moving to me that it's so encouraging to me that and now I have I get I get to sit with you so and um and talk about and talk about the work and talk about theater. So thank you for coming on. You're so welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Okay, I have to tell the audience yes, who yes. you are a little yes, bit. Yes, please go ahead. Okay, so directly from Coleman's website, well, I paraphrase. <laughs> he is an actor, playwright, and all times a fool. <laughs> exactly. Yes. But um, let's just hear what he's a, a Tony Award nominee. Yes. And that is for Passing Strange. No, no, it's for Scottsboro Boys. Oh, it's okay. I thought you won for Scottsboro Boys. You, you know, you know what? No, but the funny thing is, people it, people have it in their mind. And whatever I do with Passing Strange, people have it in their minds that I was nominated for Tony for that, and I wasn't. Isn't it incredible? No, I'm not kidding. I've at least maybe I've run into like four different people. Like, well, you, you were nominated before for a Passing Strange. I'm like, no, I wasn't actually. I'm in shock because <laughs> she's looking at me in shock. Passing Strange, your performance in Passing Strange was almost like iconic. Thank you. It was so over the top, risky, and yet this is what's really unique about your work, about your about your acting, and I saw also in the writing, was that it is over the top, risky, and yet truthful. So that is the size of the truth inside of you that you can support. Mm -hmm. That level of physicality, that level of outrageousness, and it all feels real. Thank you, thank you. I, I, I don't know where that comes from, but it's like maybe it's about about you know stepping out on a limb and going far, and trusting that you have the heart and the the soul and everything will be st stay grounded within that. You know what I mean? That's wow. what I try to do with a lot of my work. It's just like to really go to really be on the line to go places where that it's risky that pe that people it'll be polarized in a way. People some will love it and some will say, oh no, I don't like what he does. And I'm fine with that because I know because I yeah cause you want a hotter yeah because I'm understanding yeah exactly I want you don't want to be in the middle no no, no. I, I don't do the middle let's get your why? tea why, why I mean why we spend we spend most no. of our lives in the, these dark these dark theaters and we want to do something we think is profound and something that people will walk away and think about their lives and examine absolutely their lives and the truths, right right something meaningful yeah yeah. I, and, and let me just say, an, an Obie Award winner, yes. um, the critics say that he's exhilarating, blazingly char charismatic, of course, a GLAAD Media Award winner, a Drama League nominee, a Drama Desk nominee, Fred Astaire Award nominee, Out 100 uh, honoree, Coleman Domingo is astonishing actor, dancer, singer, who brings his entire family and friends of family to life in his long, spidery bones. <laughs> and that's from Newsday. Lucy Lortel, award winner. It goes on and on. I have, I have had a meal of Coleman <laughs> Domingo this, this morning and this week. And it's Thanksgiving, so I figured we'll have a meal yes. of this amazing inspiring artists. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Everything Acting Podcast. What we do is we seek to inform, inspire, and demystify the actor's journey. Okay. So Coleman. Okay, so we know how the critics define you. Yeah. 
How do you define yourself? Oh, that's a good question, Roz. <laughs> Roz, uh, how do I define myself? Mm-hmm. I define myself as um, an artist who has become, with his artwork, um, in a way, an activist. Um, I think that I, I had no idea that that was part of my journey, but I think that the things that have, I've been doing have led to that, that, that form of um, activism with my art, to really mm-hmm. put myself on, out on the limb and to understand that uh, I'm really starting to understand, after I've been in this business for 22 years, and I'm finally starting to understand what I've been trying to do, when it comes, when I, even when I look back at my career and the, the choices I've made, um, or the things that have found me, um, for a long time, you know, for a while, I was trying to just, you know, trying to, you know, be an actor and trying to make some money sometime and get a, get a show on the CW, do something silly. Yeah. You know what I mean? The stuff that was always mm. calling on me was for me to do some earth-shaking, core-shaking work, work that would wear me out, mm-hmm. work that I had to lend everything I had to, um, to research, to, to just pour everything I have into it to examine our, our condition. And I realized that that's part of my journey. And that's wow. what I have to do. And, you know, I did Blood Knot over at the Signature Theater in the beginning of the year. And that, that um, wore me out mm-hmm. in the most, in the most thrilling way. Mm-hmm. I realized that I'm that, I'm that actor that if, you, if you're going to call on me, I'm giving you everything. And I'm also not, I, I'm, I'm going to give you everything. And I'm going to give you everything when it comes to intelligence. And I, I have an opinion about everything in the room. Um, I have an opinion on how the room operates as well because I want I understand that because we spend so many long hours in the theater in particular I want the room to be filled with a have so much a support and love from everyone that we all have to be on the same page and I realize that I, I've been a leader in that way when I go into rooms because I'm like no this is the way um, if we're going to open up our hearts and give everything we have we've got to set this foundation and so I realized that that's part of my journey as a as a as a leader. I guess yeah. I define myself as um, you know, you don't know your leader for a while, but the, the people start saying you you certain mm-hmm. things. They say, "Call me, you're so bossy at times." Mm-hmm. I'm not, and I don't think I'm bossy. I just think that I have the, I have an opinion. Right. I, I have an opinion, and I do, and I I, I do think that I'm very um, diplomatic about that as well. I understand diplomacy very well. I, I, I should probably work for the UN. <laughs> but 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 I, I define myself as um, a creative artist. And um, I'm actually going to take a step into believing and understanding and knowing, probably with this conversation today, that I am a visionary. Some people don't define themselves as that. Some people let other people define them as a visionary. But I understand that I'm doing things that I think may not have been done before because also I'm not looking outside of myself. I'm looking within the truth, the way I understand what what I can relate to Mm -hmm. in storytelling. and, um, And I think that people, I understand now, this is my especially with this being my, my fourth play, I really understand that I have a voice that people want to hear. And it's connecting to people. And people are really connected to it. So I understand that, okay, wherever this is com- coming from, hopefully it's coming from the same place that um, uh, Jeffrey Holder and mm. George Wolfe and, and mm. Mozart and Maya Angelou, and people who, who don't stay um, in one box either. People who, like yourself, we, mm-hmm. we go back and forth between film and TV and theater and teaching, and I, I'm a photographer, and people always ask me to do one thing, one or the other. I'm like, I don't. I'm an artist. I do it all. I'm a man. I'm someone who's, who's exploring, deeply exploring um, uh, the human condition, whether, and, and all of it is a part of that. You know what I mean? I, yeah, so that's how I define myself. That's, uh, we got to back it up. It's, it's, I'm so excited because I just saw your play. And, um, and in your play, I saw a man expressing himself 
and his sexuality, his relationship with his mother, mm -hmm. his world, mm -hmm. his longings, and his his truth, his fantasy, and ultimately, it was like a communication. This is why I go to the theater. It was like that magical communication have mm -hmm. with the other world That's that can only happen in the theater. Absolutely, absolutely. Can only you can only have magic in the theater. Yeah, right. Exactly. And that's what I want to explore with this play. I really yeah. thought I wanted to take uh, the experience. Um, I've had my own personal experience of dealing with grief. Yeah. And I wanted to take it and take an examination of it on the flip side. What if someone's trying to stop the grieving process and just move through it quickly? What yeah. if they're stuck in their lives? Mm. I, I was a person who wasn't stuck. And then I, so, you know, I, I, I think I've had a very healthy grieving process with the, the death of my parents, and uh, mm. both my parents passed in uh, 2006. Oh. And um, through that, I really leaned into it. And then I really thought about it. And then I had conversations with people who said, oh, well, Coleman, you're, you've been so healthy about this. I couldn't do it. And so with that question, I, I started writing this play. I was like, what if I couldn't? What if it was the flip side of me, the darker side of me? What was I, that I, character's I, name? Gil. Gil. And Gil, Gil's a name. Every name has a name of someone in my life, but some just came out of the heavens, I guess. Gil's actually the name of my uh, natural father's name. Okay. Gilbert, yeah. Okay, okay, we gotta back it up. I, I yes. know, I'm sorry Go listeners, I'm just too excited. Okay, so what we need to set the foundation for of the listeners is tell us where you're from and give us, you know, Reader's Digest version of sort of your artist journey. How did you get started? How, how did you develop as an artist? What's your story? Um, I'm, I'm from Philadelphia. And I uh, was born and raised in Philadelphia, public schools. I uh, went to Temple University and I was studying journalism. And um, with my, uh, I've always thought I would be a writer. And I would always, um, you know, my news writing teachers would tell me that I was too creative in my writing. But they never, it's interesting enough, they never pushed me towards playwriting. Hmm. I had no idea that that's what, where I, mm -hmm. I had a gift. So anyway, so from there, um, I took a, an acting class at Temple University. And this teacher named Chris... He pulled me and this one girl aside one day, and he said, uh, Coleman, hey, um, have you ever thought about this as a career? Now, I'm a boy from inner city, West Philly, who never even had been to the theater. I had wow. never been to the theater growing up. I didn't mm -hmm. even know it was an option at all. I didn't know what that was. I saw acting, I don't know what that is, so I'm gonna take this as an elective. And he said, I th really think you should examine this as a career. Wow. He said, I think, I think you have a gift. And I said, oh, wow. No one ever told me I had a gift before. I didn't know what my gift was. And so when someone tells you to examine your gift, mm -hmm. so I started to do that. Mm -hmm. And with that, I started to um, quietly, because, okay, now I'm going to back up even more. Mm -hmm. I wasn't, if anyone in my uh, high school or junior high or elementary school could mm -hmm. tell you, they would never have thought I would be an actor. I was the shyest, quietest, bookish, nerdish kid. Just, and I had a speech impediment. And I played, really? Yeah, I played an instrument. So everything was, I, I didn't speak because I didn't, because I was teased and things like that. I was, I was very frail. I was always, you know, I, I was, I, when I was young, I had lots of um, bronchitis uh, problems. So I was like the sickly, I was like Tiny Tim. <laughs> I was like Tiny Tim growing up. And then, um, so basically I... Um, Wait, let me get a full picture. <laughs> so you were like kind of snotty all the time? So kind of snotty, kind of always... <sighs> Oh man! Like when I would get a cold, I would go to a full-on bronchitis. Oh, and, and what kind of speech impediment? 
I had um, uh, my S's, I, my S's and X's, and uh, it, it, yeah. So it, I would say boxes. Uh -huh. You know, my tongue would just stick out. So I, you know, so I did learn how to dentalize and bite down. And then once I started to do that, I started to become more um, interested in language. Also, wait, I got to tell you this. I'm jumping all over the place. So my mother um, put me, me and my brothers, my brother and sister into um, an arts camp. Uh, try to get you know inner city kids, get them off the street, doing something interesting. My brother would paint, my sister would write. Wow, and, and, and then, everybody's creative. Yeah, everyone's creative. And they had, we had an acting teacher. And the one time I was really affected, I remember this so well, I was affected by um, speech. We had this woman named Pat. And Pat was this African-American woman who was so, the way she stood, she, she, she was a queen. She mm -hmm. was like a prince about her. And she was different than anyone I knew in my neighborhood. The way she spoke was so with round tones and you know dentalized teas and plosives and she it was, everything was so rich and I was like wow I didn't know we could speak like that and so I was fascinated with language because of, she I think and I always want to go back and try to find this one Pat because she had no idea you know sometimes we have no idea that the effect that people have on us just by their being and sharing their passion yeah and she just had a love of language. And so then, and, and talks about reading and poetry. Mm. So I would get this stuff and I read. So now, flash forward to uh, mm -hmm. to uh, after at Temple University, I would uh, I was interested in acting. So um, mm -hmm. I was already so fully immersed in my journalism program. I thought, well, I'll take a couple classes down the street at the Walnut Street and down the street, mm -hmm. um, in at the Walnut Street Theater School, which is downtown. Mm -hmm. And I took a few classes, and um, you know we. Breathing classes, we'd lay on the floor and imagine orange juice filling up our bodies. And <laughs> I was never more happy. I was so happy, and I thought, this is the whole world. This is just opening me up mm -hmm. to something else. And so uh, after I graduated from school, I actually moved to San Francisco because uh, I had a couple friends who moved to San Francisco, and there were like three guys living in a studio apartment. And I thought, well, I still have to think about possibly maybe trying acting before maybe I go think about going to grad school for, you know, to get my. Uh, my in, in journalism, so I thought I'll go to San Francisco for a little bit, and then I'll go to LA for a minute, and and then um, and then I'll see, and I can always come back home. My mother always said you can always come back home. Aww. So you know, so, so I went out on a limb, moved to San Francisco. I thought I'd be there for a couple weeks, and I ended up being there for ten years. Wow. San Francisco, I moved there, and I became an actor and an artist there. They, it really was a place. It was the, a great incubator for me. Uh -huh. And I still have a strong relationship there, and I always go back to develop work. And uh, so, so tell me, what what were some of the significant things that um, were there? Classes that you got into, or did you like? Yeah. What did you do in San Francisco? Okay, what I did, you know what? I'm one of those weird people mm -hmm. who my I, I, I took like two classes. I remember, and then I thought while I was doing that, they had this magazine called Theater Bay Area, and basically it's all resources. And so basically, I was like, oh, I should meet with this woman who can tell me how how I need to. Uh, show up to auditions and dress and things like that. Like it was like an image consultant. So I met with this woman and she was perfect. She was a, she looked like she was like in Chanel and she was fabulous. <laughs> and she just told me everything I should do, how I should walk, how I should walk, mm. present myself, body language. She told me like even like if I'm just a, a mirror, mirroring body language, what that does, how you always know that you're on the same page with a person. Okay, okay, yeah. don't lose your thoughts. Yes, I just got to tell the listeners, um, he is a incredibly physical actor and also if you go to his website comadomingo.com you will see what his style is like <laughs> so apparently this lady really had an influence on him she really did she was together <laughs> and she it really stuck with me yeah and I, get, I realized what she was talking about was sort of branding yes she, she was branding um mm -hmm. 
And that was something that I learned early on, you know, getting headshots and resumes. And so I would take some of my student work. Listeners, this is a terrible story. I would take, I would take some of my, my student work and say that they were productions. You know, I, it was just spreading the truth just a little, a little bit. But to, so I could have a resume, because I had nothing. I had nice. no professional experience. Uh -huh. So I just made it just look a little bit. It wasn't really lying, but it was kind of spinning the truth a little bit. Yeah, so you know, spin on so, it. So I had a headshot and resume. Okay. And so then I went started auditioning, foolishly. And foolishly, after my fourth audition, I got cast. I got cast at, in the New Conservatory Theater school tour of the Inner Circle, and I played a young boy dying of AIDS. Aww. And you know, when I say, when I look back now, I probably was doing everything technically that like, what, I was just feeling. Yeah. I was just feeling everything. Technically, I probably was a hot, hot steaming mess. Yeah, <laughs> you know what I mean? But, but um, from there, what I started, my journey started with, I kept working. I kept working in my career has, I didn't go to grad, I didn't go to a conservatory or anything. I learned sort of the old school way. On the job. On the job, mm -hmm. I learned everything. I remember my first rehearsal for Inner Circle, the director, British woman named Louie Jenkins said, oh, well, you know, well, tomorrow the first thing we'll do, we'll, we'll block the play and then we'll do some we'll do, then we'll do deeper work and maybe we'll do some sense memory work and things like that. I had no, it was as if she was speaking Chinese to me. So wow. what I did, um, I always did this, I would go home and I would read books and find out what blocking was. I had Uta Hagen's Respect for Acting, and I had a Meisner Technique book, and mm -hmm. so basically I would go home and learn, like crash course myself and come in and like, oh, that's what blocking is. I would look on another actor's uh, script and see that they're writing um, SR and circling it and putting an arrow. I'm like, I don't even know, what, is what are they doing? Mm -hmm. And then eventually my friend Joey, who was in the show, he said, oh, that's, I'm remembering where I am, stage left or stage right. And I was like, which is what? So I learned everything on mm -hmm. the job. Um, mm -hmm. and, so, and so from there, I wasn't in scenes or called to rehearsal. I would actually um, show up anyway because I was learning. I was learning from everyone. I was learning how the stage managers worked. I was learning mm -hmm. how um, the crew. I learned. I learned every uh, ounce of it by showing up. I would just show up early and just hang out in the back and mm. watch and see how people were working and see how people found things. I would also be open to asking my fellow actor. Um, that's what, I have no ego when it comes to this work. If, if Roz and I, if we're doing a show and I'm not getting something comedically, I will ask you, what do you think I'm, is there something I'm not doing? And then you'll let, you'll, and they'll, oh, Roz, can you look at that scene when you, while you're not in the, and would you mind looking at that? And you're like, oh, technically, your face isn't out. Or what, you know what I mean? And so, so certain things, like, oh, that's it. Because something is just by the numbers at times. I love that conversation. Mm -hmm. I can't tell you how helpful that conversation is. Mm -hmm. When you as an actor are in struggling, yeah. And then you could just and and you Ask just turn to somebody and they're just they're like try this yeah and you're like thank you this is your company yes like, exactly. <laughs> and I've learned that early on and so yes. it's always surprising me when another actor doesn't do it. if a person's struggling ask a fellow actor yes. they may have you know someone that you admire and you're like wow how do they get to where they get and you're like wow great that mm -hmm. works. you have to just be so open hearted about that and it's not yes. about ego it's not about not knowing or mm -hmm. feeling stupid it's a it's a process right. it's a process. We, we've got to be able to depend on one another. So I learned that early on, and so that happened to me a lot in San Francisco. San Francisco really was like such a, um, a, a, a true breeding ground for me, truly, and it helped me develop into a playwright. And because I realized um, how I developed into a playwright, my, an artistic director of a theater said, uh, mm -hmm. oh, Coleman, you, uh, I said, wow. He said, Coleman, you seem like you have lots of stories to tell. I said, I do. I said, he said, you know, you can always tell a story that you don't think is being told. And so I thought about that, and I'm hmm, I can actually do it. So my first play was an adaptation of a, a couple short stories in a book, 
and then I put some of my writing in there and it became this play called Up Jump Springtime. I produced it for five hundred dollars in the basement of Theater Rhinoceros. Oh my gosh. And um in nineteen ninety-seven, uh-huh. Um I got people to do it for free. It became a wildly successful show. What? So successful that the theater put it to end its twentieth anniversary season the next season. And, wow. Um, yeah, and um directed by my, my dear friend Danny Shea, who was the first one who um he used to be the artistic director of Shakespeare Santa Cruz, mm-hmm. who cast me in a, an approximate uh, 12th night. And we have a full circle moment because actually he's going to direct uh, Wild with Happy at Theater Works in San Francisco in the Bay Area. So it's very full circle. Are first you always play. in your place? No, I'm not. Uh-huh. You know, I'm you not. Were, were you were in, you, in you know what? Were you no, in that I one? was in those. Uh-huh. But the one, some other ones that I've written, some ones that haven't even been produced yet, I'm not in those. Yeah, there's not even a character of anything I can play, really. Yeah. Wow. Because <laughs> yeah. I was like, wow, this is... Oh, that's like such a great vehicle. Yeah. So you won't be in Wild with Happy in, in San Francisco? I will be in Wild with Happy in San Francisco. I will be in that Go place. see it. Go yeah. see it, everybody in California. Yes, I'll be at Theater Works. Theater Works. You can get on their website. You can get tickets now. Yes, yes. So I'll be in, I'll, I'll be in that. I think Sharon Washington may be doing that, too. And uh, so we'll see what happens. You uh-huh. know? We're just being open. But, yeah. So my journey as a as a, an artist in, um, in the Bay Area was really, really rooted in the Bay Area. But, and also, I think it's a... I always tell my students whenever I, um, I teach, I teach at the O'Neill, mm-hmm. and I, I tell my students that uh, I think it's important for you to get it, not to jump right in. I don't, I'm, I, maybe just for me, because I think people who jump right into New York or L.A., mm-hmm. some big market, yeah. you want to get to know yourself a little bit, and whatever oh. that means. Just like, even if it's just like, hey, go to San Francisco, go to Seattle, go to Chicago, go to D.C., whatever. New York can be the goal, but also, I'm not saying not to come to New York, but, but I just understand it. The monster of New York, yeah, and I feel like you and I have been able to navigate it mm-hmm. in, 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 a, in, a, in a very strong way. Mm-hmm. Who knows? Maybe it doesn't even mean actually acting in one of the, another city. But I'm like, get to know yourself. Don't just go straight from school. San Francisco got me to know who I was mm-hmm. too. I I became an out gay man there. I didn't you know I just everything just opened up. You know what I mean? For me in my life, I understood who I was as a spiritual person, um, and everything wasn't related to this business. It was related to becoming. A whole person. Oh, it's so beautiful. Yeah. Uh, we have listeners all over the world, yeah. and I get these letters all the time from someone. It's so sweet, mostly from um, maybe like in their teens, and they say, "Well, I really want to be an actress. My parents don't want me to be an actor. You know, how can I get a job?" And I always think, start where you are. Mm-hmm. Be in the school play. Yes. You and your friends get together and make a play. Yeah, great. You know, make a film yeah. together. Yeah. And that there's a lot of power right where you are today. Yes, absolutely. You know, because no one can tell you not to create. Yes. Isn't that the one gift that we all have that we no one can tell you you can't create something? No, that's ridiculous. We've been doing that ever since we were kids. Yeah. You know, your, your son does that. Your son in his bedroom. He, does, yeah. he, he creates his whole universe there. Uh-huh. You know what I mean? We can create anywhere we are. And so that's, I think that's very important that you say, you say that to people because it's the absolute truth. Um, you start where you are and you keep developing and getting tools that you need, mm-hmm. filling up your toolbox yes. with many things. Putting yourself, I, I, I'm going to keep saying this, um, putting yourself on the line. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Going, be, be, Taking a risk, doing something that... Uh, that can help you fly. Mm-hmm. Um, in, this, in the Bay Area, I actually um, was in a circus company for, for yeah, I was, <laughs> I was with Make a Circus, which was a political circus that toured um, all over California. Wow. Um, and talking about sort of the political theme that year was about Proposition 187, which mm-hmm. was trying to uh, 
um, like stop uh, illegal immigrants from coming in or something. And um, it was fantastic. I learned how to, I still know how to, I'm sure I can get on them now, six feet tall stilt, um, stilts. Wow. I'm a stilt walker. I'm also an aerial web specialist. I was taught by these Chinese masters. Wow. I know how to juggle. Um, <laughs> I, you know, things that, you know, I'm, I'm not a, I'm a clown. Yes. I think all that work keeps showing up in everything else you do for the rest of your life. Of right? course. Everything. Gaining a skill. It's like you don't have to just... You know, act, sing, or dance. It's like yeah. keep, keep. You know, play the freaking ukulele, whatever. Because you never know in a show. <laughs> right. Where you're gonna know, oh, does anyone play instruments? Well, I play the ukulele. Oh wow, now I'm gonna have yes. a bestie playing a ukulele on the ukulele. Exactly. Right? <laughs> right? Exactly. Right. It's true. Good. And so, um, so you're in San Francisco, and then you've also done. I saw in your reel like Law and Order, yes. and I was like, speak the speech. <laughs> yes. I was yes. like, you better act. Yes. So you've also had like some really legit work. Yes. Yes. So how did you go from this, you know, this totally core yes, artist yes. and to like getting like real super legit? Su more. Super legit. That came from, a, I think, see, I moved to New York in about uh, 2001. Mm -hmm. I moved to New York. Uh, oh my gosh, just before 9-11 yeah, or right after? Before, right before 9-11. I moved mm -hmm. in February of 2001. Mm -hmm. And I roomed roommates with uh, Norbert Leo Butts' younger brother, Jim Butts, who's a phenomenal actor in his own right. Mm -hmm. So we... Uh, I moved here, you know, and really, you know, I had no, no agents, no agents, no, no monies, no nothings. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, just a poor black child moved in here. No, but you know, but basically, but I had a lot, you know, you know, ambition and, and people who respected me that I knew that maybe they, they wouldn't mind uh, helping me out get an agent, things like that. People would give me referrals. So, you know, and I'm very, I'm very aggressive in that way. And I tell people this, I don't stop until a person says no. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. I, I, you say no, I as, as long as you don't say no, I still think as yes. That's what I think. And I also <laughs> yeah. think that if you say no, we still have a relationship. Right, exactly. Just because you said no doesn't mean we've, right. you know, doesn't mean I can't contact you again. Right. Exactly. You just said no to that. That's right. okay. Exactly. That's okay. It just means like not right this second. Right. And it's just about being persistent in yeah. a kind and gentle way. New York is one of those cities, I feel like, if you, 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 you really do get... I, I, from my experience, you get what you what you put out, it, mm -hmm. it will come back to you, it, in a, and I think in a great way. It's like to trust and have faith with that. It's like the more that you are, you have your your mind set on certain goals. And my mind when I moved here was, I really wanted to work on work, new work mm. that um, because mm -hmm. that's what I was excited about. In San Francisco, I would always get the third tier of a prep of a production. Yeah. When it was already developed, and I see pe people who developed, I'm like, oh wow. So it didn't have, um what I believe I can give to help create something. I want to create from the ground up. I love, I yeah. want to be in the first show. Right. I right. feel like, well, they did it. Right, they did it. They did it. They have an understanding of how it works. But, yeah, I want to go to the place where we didn't know what this was. We had to find the play. Mm -hmm. I love finding mm -hmm. the story mm -hmm. around. I mean, and I feel like everything that you do, um, you know, if you're doing a film, it's always a new play. You have to figure it out. Yeah, absolutely. And there's something to me like that seems really, really organic about that. I understand that that's how the art goes on when mm -hmm. people do, you know, new productions of things that have already been done. Yeah. But as an artist, I'm so interested in discovering the story. Yeah. And helping to define. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. And mm -hmm. I've had those experiences once. And I've been around, my first show in New York was uh, doing. Bright Ideas at Manhattan Class Company with uh, mm -hmm. John Rando who directed, mm -hmm. and that was a uh, that was starting to get more into that this legit 
theater work or whatever, you know. Mm-hmm. Like, um, more, more commercial, I guess. And then um, I I was doing other shows with the Henry V and with oh. Leah Shriver. That's Leah and I became good friends. Oh, uh, we were at Yale together. Yeah, I love yeah. Leah. He's yeah. awesome, isn't he? Great? He's great. He's really he's, he's a deep really guy, deep guy. But I think you know, people really good person, sweet, good people. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh. So from there, then I've been stacking up some other shows, like Well, I understudied my best friend Daniel Breaker on Broadway and Well. Uh, Yeah, exactly. It's like the universe just keeps opening up and like we became, and then, okay, we get this. When we were closing Well, I said, what do you have to do next? Oh, I'm going to go off to Berkeley and the public is a co-production of this play called Passing Strange. Oh, wow, cool, cool. I said, I wish you all the best. I had no no idea what I was doing in the future. Mm -hmm. I was going back to my bartending job. Mm And then I got an audition, maybe four months later or something, for something called Passing Strange. And the breakdown said, you know, these, some African-American guy to play a closet choir director and a, <laughs> uh, and a German performance artist and a Dutch nudist. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is like right up, right up my alley. Yeah. I was like, wow, I think well, accents and all that. I'm like, oh my God, I'm, I, you're never given an opportunity as an African-American to do that kind of work. I know. And so, and to flex those muscles on one show and to sing and dance. I was like, what? All of that? And so, uh, I got cast, as we know, and um, went to Berkeley and through that process, actually, um, uh, I lost, actually, I had the audition for Passing Strange on a Monday and I lost my mother on a Tuesday. Oh, and, um, oh yeah, so... it was, it was, that was devastating. That was 2006. It was devastating, and so um, what happened? They... And passing strange audience is also about an artist, the the main guy <laughs> Stu losing his mother. It's, yes, what isn't? It's amazing to me, and I think how art and life mm-hmm. bump up against each other. Yeah, I needed that. I needed that play as yeah. much as I guess it needed me. We needed each other. Mm, yeah, um, and so. Uh, I think that some, I really believe as an artist, if you're, if you're that open and clear about what you're seeking as an artist as well, that it comes to you. Mm. I feel like to be that, that clear, which I'm always telling my students to be specific. How do you like keep yourself clear? Uh, like what do you say, you know, I want specifically this kind of job? Like what does that mean? You have to be clear, I think, in a way, because I think <clears throat> for a moment, like you have to be clear about what your path is and mm-hmm. what you, I think, um, once I was nominated for a Tony for a musical, all of a sudden I keep getting lots of musical offers. Musicals are not something that I really would give up anything for. I, I love to do a musical, but they, what it requires, when I say it requires even more mm-hmm. intensified prep work, et cetera, et cetera, I mean to keep your voice in good shape, right. uh, to sing certain notes, and things like that, it, it stresses me out more than anything. Mm. I feel like I can, you know, it's a different level when I'm doing a play. I'm like, well, today his voice is just placed here because if I have a cold or whatever, you can, yeah. I'm, I'm working through a little cold and it's mm-hmm. getting over, it's just sinuses still. Yeah. Um, it's about really working through that stuff. And I think that um, I just have to be, I had to be clear that once I was done, I finished the Scottsboro Boys as a musical, which was uh, uh, 2011. What I want to do next, I actually want to get back to just a simple play. I want to play one character who had an arc mm-hmm. with a story. I wanted to, I, that's what I, that's what that's I was saying. And mm-hmm. I, I want to be clear about that. And you know, my, you know, my manager was kept, oh, well, maybe they want, you know, sure you don't want to be seen for Pippin, they don't Pippin at this, are you sure you want to be seen for this? No, I told I understand what I need right now and what, mm-hmm. I, what I know. And so, you know, my managers, they're a bit more on board with that too, but they're always looking out for great opportunities for me. Right. But for me, I have to guide it from knowing what my spirit wants to do. I'm like, this is what I'm longing for. 
but also I don't want to become marginalized because I think sometimes we do sometimes think that we forget that like Audrey McDonald is a wonderful actress yes as well as a singer yeah we forget that we're we're, we're so um multi-dimensional America American artists are, get put in a box yes absolutely. they're like are you an actor or a singer right what say you <laughs> right. what say you <laughs> yes what say you do yes. it now exactly yes. yeah, yeah, yeah. and it's You're like, like no. it's like you get looked down upon yeah. like J-Lo has an album well right. then she's not a, she's not really an actress right you know and why can't we be exactly I mean so why can't we be renaissance people I mean yes. but just do it all. I mean, I'm, it's like, yeah, why not? If you, you know, some actors read reviews, some don't. I, mm -hmm. I'm, I read them, not that they make a difference, but I read them. <laughs> but I've read the reviews for Blood Knot that I did, which was after doing these, and I've only done four musicals in my entire life. Uh -huh. No, yeah, four. After doing Blood Knot, and the bulk of my career has been plays and comedies and Shakespeare, you name it. Yes. People kept being so surprised. They were like, well, he's a musical theater actor, but he's doing this nuanced, simple work. They were like, we're very surprised. They're like, as they always, he usually does this very outrageous, out there work. But I'm like, yeah, but the last thing you showed me, I was in a deconstructed menstrual show. How small am I supposed to be in that? Yeah. I did Passing Strength playing German performance artist. Uh, and then I played, and then I took over in The Wiz. You've seen these very big roles, but you've never seen me be, be, them able to do something nuanced and smaller in, in a South African play. Um, called Blood Knot, you know what I mean? Wow. So because, mm -hmm. But also to know that we have all of that inside of us, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? So um, I just have to be careful about how I navigate. Okay, now let's open the can of worms. Yeah. So you came in here this morning on fire, ready to... What are you thinking about? What's on your mind? I know that your play closed on Sunday. Yes. Let's, let's just get it straight to the audience. His, his play closed on Sunday, a huge success. Yes. Um, just give a quick synopsis for the audience of your play. Uh, Wild with Happy is a, I would say, is a dark, bizarre, surreal comedy about a man who loses his mother, and he's in process of trying not to process, but uh, he's the, the the traditional world represented by his aunt Glow is smashing up against him. Um, the belief and faith is also um, surrounding him, whether mm. whether you believe in one thing or another or not. Uh, so therefore, you know, whether it's examination of the church and also the examination of uh, fairy tales. Mm. And at the core essence of both of them is faith and belief. Yeah. You know what I mean? And this person does not believe. Mm -hmm. And so there is a, a catalyst, sort of his um, fairy godmother slash fairy, his best friend named mm -hmm. Mo, who sort of takes him on a journey mm -hmm. that he's, he's thrust into. He must uh, believe in something, after all, in order yeah. to stay in this world, I think. So it's about that. And I think it's... Um, it's in my examination of mother-son relationships. My Which I thought was very powerful because we have all these single mothers, you yeah. know, and I have a son. And just the, I was like, there are going to be a lot of mother-son. There's going to, yeah. there's a lot to say about the mother-son yes. bond. Mm -hmm. You know, I think about Obama's mother. Yeah. You know, as I as I try to get my eight year old to do his homework, mm -hmm. and I always had this image of her waking him up, making him do his homework, yeah. and, and her she was hard on him. She was like, you know, I've already been in the third grade. I don't. You think it's fun <laughs> for me to be up at four o'clock in the morning doing this? Mm -hmm. You know, and just like that intensity of the mother is the one that will tell you go back and put your lotion on. Yes, absolutely. And, and it's like <laughs> the other people get to be you know, tickly and fun and all this stuff. And it's like, every time I come in the room, especially now, it's like the smile goes away. Mommy's going to take away my junk food. She's going to make me do my homework. Yeah. She's going to make me quiet down. She's going to make me do this. 
And I was like, wow, this is a role. <laughs> and, and, and you know what's something so interesting about that, Raj, too? Mm-hmm. What part of this examination of Mother's Son? Mm-hmm. Because I think because also, um, and I'm, this is talking to a different uh, African-American woman I know specifically, raising a black man is, um, is such a, uh, a huge responsibility, I think. Not to say raising any other man of any other mm-hmm. color, hue is different, but I think specifically raising a, a black man because there's so much... We have um, studies and demographics of what how we don't survive. Oh my gosh! And you're raising your, your son, and, and with so all the love and passion that you have to to, to, to make sure that he doesn't become part of that. You mm-hmm. have this imagery of do your homework or go to jail. It's always like for me. <laughs> yeah. My imagery yeah. is yeah. Yes. you know be right or wrong, yeah. and it's Absolutely. like. And you're doing all that you can. Everything you know, that, that you can. To like, be the best mother. You know what I mean? And that's what that's what I wanted to examine. Like, you know, mm-hmm. these strong, strong bonds and these bonds of love. Yeah, you, you, you may get on his last nerve, but I know he loves you so much because he, he knows that no one loves me like that woman. Oh, no one honey. cares about me more than that woman. And so that's what I'm examining in this play. That, yeah. that bond. And then once that bond, if that bond, God forbid when that bond is broken... Hopefully, you know, I, I had a very strong and loving healing process. But what if some people don't? If it's just too, too much. Yeah. Yeah. That was, so I, I was very about. moved also about how, in real life, was your mother, did she let you be you? Mm-hmm. Um, that was really beautiful. My mother, my mother always did. My mother never, my mother has always inspired me to be whatever. I, she was a, she just wanted me to be a good citizen. That's what I she wants me to be a, 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 Please, a, a, Lord. a good man, a loving man. Yes. Someone that she can uh, be so proud of. That yes. A generous man. And when she watched me open doors for uh, mm-hmm. elderly ladies or mm-hmm. stop and do it, she was like, I made that. Mm-hmm. I, I, I gave everything I can to create that man. And so she's always told me, whatever it was, great. How can I help you get there? Yeah. And always something productive and, and about generosity. And my mother always instilled something in me about being generous. She always, I think, you know, all her children, I think my, I love, my siblings are so, they're great people. But mm-hmm. I think we're um, at the core, we try to be ge- as generous. My mother was the woman who would give you the shirt, I mean, she really did give you the shirt off her back. She wow. really was the a community organizer slash just open-hearted individual and who just always, you know, made sure she connected with everyone. Okay. Yeah. Back to the story. Sorry. Back to the story. Back to the story. Yes. Yes. I'm so sorry. Okay. Yes, so that. So he just closed the play. Yes. And then. And then um, I was on fire. And then I, then I saw. Uh, the piano lesson open. Uh, which was fabulous. Yes. At signature theater. And then you went to the Adelco Awards last night. I went to the Adelco night. Awards last night. And, I, and I'm I'm a little um, and you know what I decided because maybe it's because I'm 42 and I'm getting older and I just can't. It's, it's hard for me to hold my tongue these days about things that needs to be examined. Mm-hmm. Um, and for me, last night, you know, well, you know, I was I'm nominated for my work in Blood Knot, and um, Grace Jones is a wonderful supporter of my work, uh, who runs the Odelcos, and, and it was wonderful to be there. And it's something is so special about it because you're seeing all these African Americans um, in the theater um, in New York, and you're coming together yes. in such a beautiful event. Mm-hmm. And then there was something that struck me that I did not agree with. And I'm still trying to examine and process that. And if they're, if they're listening, I think that it's, I think this is the discussion that should be had, mm-hmm. um, at least examined, because I'm, I know that my colleagues all felt the same way. It was just kind of shocking in a way that, I'm not kidding, I really felt about 70% of the people who walked up there and claimed an award were not of color. 
and it was surprising. There was one woman who actually, you could tell that she had to make a statement to let people know that I, I'm actually half Cuban. She said it like that because that she saw white person after white person after white person go up and collect an Odelco Award celebrating black theater and black excellence. And I think at the core of it, at the core of an Odelco Award, at the core of celebrating black excellence, if we're still going to do that, if it's going to be different than the Obies and the Lortels, then it has to, you have to be black. <laughs> at least you have to be black to be nominated. Right. I right. don't care if you worked on a black show. Right, right. Uh, you know, half my designers wouldn't be nominated for, for Wild mm-hmm. with Happy. Mm-hmm. That means that if you are of color, this award is celebrating your excellence because we don't get, because we're not always up for OBs. We're not always up for Lucifer Lortels. Mm-hmm. We have to have something to just honors us. Mm-hmm. If, mm-hmm. if we're going to be that way, or if it's, it's fine to be included, but it's like, in that, and then, you know, I'm, you know, not to take anything away from others, but also we're celebrating, you know, there's Latinos being nominated. They have the Alma Awards. Mm-hmm. We don't have our Alma, you know what I mean? So it's like, yeah. so either we're going to be specific or not. <laughs> I saw at one point, not to take anything away from any of these people who won, I'm sure the work was fascinating and fabulous, and I'm sure it was well-deserved. What I'm saying at the core of it is, it's Rod Blank, uh, Katori Hall nominated in the same category as playwright, and I see some white playwright going up there who wrote some show about um, Sally and Tom Henry, which I'm sure was fabulous and wonderful. But I feel I'm a little taken aback. Mm-hmm. Like, Wait, we have these playwrights that we need to celebrate. I'm very, I feel very passionate about that, and I feel very much like they really have to examine this because I feel absolutely wrong, and it really made me think. I don't know if I'll be. I said, you know, I'm. You know, I I, I, I want to support what the what the Odelcos are, are doing, but I think their mission is a little skewed. Mm-hmm. And I think that um just the way we the way we um do our business mm-hmm. as African Americans, we have to keep upping the level of it and not so that we know that we're being supported. You know what I mean? It's like we need our level of work to be very high. To that is high. so important. I think that's the same thing Viola Davis was saying about getting scripts and stuff and, and sometimes being offered scripts from um, African Americans that weren't developed enough yes. for her to take. And right. I'm always like looking at myself as, you know, an artist in progress and saying, how can I get excellent enough yeah. to come at that level? Yeah. yeah. You know, and I think that is so important, but this is an exciting time for African American playwrights. It is. I think it's such an exciting time. And I think even like like with Wild with Happy, I think one comment that I kept getting and some reviews even pointed it out, they said they were almost surprised at the pr- the level of production. The level of production was off the chain. And it's like, but also it's like the idea that they're so, you know, which is beautiful. But the idea when some people said they were surprised in a way, like how much budget you guys have? I'm like, we had a budget and we we have the best designers. No, it's creativity. And the creativity for it. Yeah. People are surprised because also it's like, I'm like, do we think that as African Americans, our work will be a, a little below that? Or can we, maybe, I wonder. Because I saw some review that actually pointed out, just made me wonder, question, how much money we had in a way. It was like, we had no more money. We probably had less budget than, I know we had less budget than Giant Downstairs, mm-hmm. The Big Musical, or some other shows. But we, we have a level, but what we know- It was creativity. Being, being, being creative. It was absolutely creativity. And um, I was so impressed with how the stage was used. Yeah. And um, with the set. Yeah. And the set never changed. Yeah. It was the set pieces that changed. Yeah. In the video and- Oh, it uh, was off the chain. Thank you. It was just so well done. And I didn't, I, I could clearly see that. In fact, I told my husband when we left, I said, 
the director and the designer and the playwright sat down and began this process. Yes. And you see sometimes a play where you think they started on six weeks ago. Right. You know, and yeah, they didn't—they yeah. didn't, you know, yeah. think it out. Yeah, think exactly. it through. Yeah, that's—I I, I, <laughs> give a lot of that to Robert O'Hara, my director. Mm-hmm. When I say he, even in rehearsals, he was—he was—he was working as a film director in a way. He was mm. almost doing his edits. Right. Well, he said, "Okay, good." And then when you're crossing across the, I want the video to—he was to give notes to the stage manager. The video is going to cross it just like yeah. that. And so you know, the stage manager—we're all in on it, and we're like, we all know the vocabulary of this piece and how we're going to do this. And how- were off the chain. The coffins became cars. Yeah, they became bench, a park bench, armoire. a closet. Yeah. I mean, they were these coffins. There were like four of them. Yeah, yeah, like four of them. Four large coffins, live. Yeah, I mean, yeah, full size coffins yeah. became everything that you needed, and that was awesome. And Clint wanted to take a, a symbol of grief and transform it, which is what the play was doing. So just like you're saying, it was like we were all in conversation with one another. Yeah, so no one was putting on a conceit that wasn't part of. The, the the real journey of the play, you know, the epic journey of it, yeah. So you know, I mean, as a as a as a humble production company, I was like, they gotta make the film. It's a I hope so. It's a it's a duh. I, I it's know, a duh. I know. It's a duh. It's a road movie. Come yeah, on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So hopefully that that'll be next. I've been talking to my my agent about what 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 we're doing. I know we're definitely gonna um, get it published, and there's gonna be some productions around the country. Um, and then eventually, I, I'm going to sit down and write the screenplay. I think of it. this is that is a no-brainer screenplay. Yeah, yeah. You know, I love the way you guys use the map mm-hmm. and the yeah. traveling. <laughs> yeah. I was like, that is so cool. But you know, I you know, a road movie is a can be can be you know contained and yeah. cost. It's yeah. a small company. Okay. You know, it's very doable. Right. It's very doable. Okay. Okay. The only thing is that doggone Disney World. Right. Exactly. That's gonna cost you. We're gonna have to get Disney involved. That's what I'm gonna have to do. I'm gonna have to get them involved because Disney, you know, good thing is that since I'm working for Disney right now with like with Lincoln, Lincoln is also Disney, the Disney brand in a way. Oh, he's in the movie Lincoln. I haven't seen it yet. Oh yeah, you gotta go see it. Go see it. Yeah, it's cool. It's a good movie. What you would say to especially a gay artist who is somewhere? You know, wondering how how do I what do I do? What do I do? Like, how did you incorporate? Because you are so yourself. Yeah, I think the thing is, is like I've been very clear about being. I would have conversations with agents, managers, publicists about whether or not I'm out or not. And I'm like, yeah, I'm, I've I've always always been out, but that's not that's not what I put out first. Mm-hmm. I put out always to be authentic, to be truly who I am, but also to not let that limit me as well. Mm-hmm. So it's not just like. You, uh, you don't become, I think we've always got to be malleable. We've always got to be, uh, you want to be always yourself. I feel like, I remember I went into one room and I had a meeting with uh, some network. And it was about playing like Danny Glover's son or something like that. And I went in there and like, they wanted to just, I thought it was just a meeting just to meet me. So I was just really being myself. I was being myself and just whatever. And then, um, and then eventually we went and did the sides and I did what I thought the character was. Then after we left or whatever, I think I did that on a different day or something like that. Um, I think maybe I didn't even read the size. I think I was just actually just had a meeting. I thought it was just a meeting. Then I left, my agent said to me that um, they all thought that you were just, uh, you weren't powerful enough. Or, or so, so it was some, some, some adjective was used was something that I'd never even heard in relation to me mm-hmm. in my work. And I was like, huh? I, I'm just 
I was just being myself. I wasn't being this powerful young attorney as they as on the casting breakdown. I was just being myself. Mm -hmm. I said, oh, if they wanted me to be that, I could have walked in being that. Right. But I realized that some people are very short-sighted in that way. So, but I want always want to find that balance of being myself, being always authentic. You should, you should always be authentic, but also to know that sometimes in this business, um, people are short-sighted. Yes. And they will marginalize you. They will say you're you're too light, which is a code word for too soft or too gay mm. or something like that. And you know, you know what I mean. So therefore, you want to when you're it's sort of like um. I know I have Coleman Domingo myself at home and probably sitting here with you. I have a Coleman Domingo a part a brand that I put out into the universe as well. Mm -hmm. I know who's watching and who's around and what they. And it's not it's not too far off from myself, but it's like I may I may need to just. Uh, I don't know. I, I don't think I, I, I do it consciously, but I know that there's a business sense to me when I'm out. Mm -hmm. when, when I'm, there's, there's big, because there's business, and then there's y your private life. Mm -hmm. So when you're dealing in the business world, when I go to meetings, you know, not, of course I'm not going to wear something like that I wear walking down Ninth Avenue and just a little, yeah. little, little gay boy outfit or something. No, <laughs> I will wear, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a professional. I'm right. going to a professional setting. It's your work. You don't, you don't go in and like, you know, red skin tight jeans anything what like about that? those itty bitty pants you had on stage okay, exactly and that was specific too because I wanted people to know immediately that this is that New York boy this is that that, that self aware New York um, gay man mm -hmm. who is very aware of his body conscious he's, he's all these things so I wanted that to be very clear about him as a character which would be very different than what people saw me as in Blood Knot which is a hot blooded straight uh, guy in South Africa right very right. different when they, when they see me as a person I want to be as authentic as I can be to myself yes. but it all depends on, in, a, in a business setting which is why I, I feel like I always have a bit more I just try to be a businessman because it, 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 it is a business yeah you know yeah. What I mean? and you want it, you also want people to be able to see you in a way uh, that you can play a romantic lead, you know, just say, I, I, and I've been so blessed to never have been marginalized in saying, for people to say, uh, oh, I can't do that. Like one minute, you know, whether, whether it's with Spike Lee or with, you know, we're talking about getting more, more of the film work, Spike Lee or Lee Daniels or Steven Spielberg, it's like, my sexuality hasn't been an issue. Mm -hmm. Because also, I don't make it an issue either. Yes. And I think that's it. And, and I'm, maybe that's about being clear about not making it an issue. I'm not walking in with my sexuality all the way, because yeah. that's private to me as well. Yeah. Just just as if, if I was straight, that's private to me as well. Mm -hmm. I'm walking I'm walking in with, I want you to get to know me as a business person, as an artist. Right. As a creative artist. You don't need to know everything, you know, and it's not not like I don't say anything. When we're on set, talk, talking, we're talking about family, I'll show you the picture of my partner. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And it's just, it's not a, and I trust, and I do trust this. If, if you don't make it an issue, it's not an issue. Mm -hmm. I think that this world, I think this whole the whole thing of people being closeted in this business is um, an old way of thinking. It, thinking it will block you from something. If if I'm a, if I'm an example to any young um, gay man out there, who they're like, wow, I want to do I want to do what Coleman Domingo has been doing. He's been forges with the theater, um, working with Candor Neb, working with Susan Strong, whatever. And it's never been an issue about my sexuality mm. because I don't make it one. Yes. You know? yes. Yeah. So I think so. I think that's it to, to have the confidence to be yourself, because also that's what we that will show up. That always shows up in your work when you're not being authentic. Yes. When you're it trying does. to hide something, mm -hmm. it will it will stop your blessings too. Mm -hmm. When you're not being truly, if we're not being truly Roz Coleman or Coleman Domingo, we're not truly being authentic. Mm -hmm. People see it. They, yeah. you, know, you know. But when we when we are, people are like I want that. That's that's someone who's deeply grounded with their core and who they are. We want that to be a part of this.
We want them to use what they have. Mm. Yeah. That's such a beautiful, I don't want to ask another question because it's so, <laughs> such a beautiful way. It's such an empowering way mm. to end the interview. But I do have to ask oh, one Yes, more. go for it. Go for it. The we'll, last we'll question, do one more. I we'll promise. Do one more. We'll do one more. Okay, so tell us how creating your own work has um, created opportunities for you. Oh, wow. I think what I love, creating opportunities, you know what, because we can't sit around. We can't sit around. Mm -hmm. We got, when I was bartending at the 55 bar, um, the Soul Jazz Bar on Christopher Street, I had, um, I would use every opportunity. Um, basically, I would, um, up until one in the morning, I had customers then between one and four. I had no one, and I had to stay open until four. So what would I do? I would start writing. I would start, and I wasn't working. I wasn't working as an actor. I was like, I was like let me just, I was just working on a writing project. I didn't know what it would be. I just thought, huh, let me just create something that I think is interesting about these stories and how it's related. I would play all the soul music at night and how it's related to music. And then um, the owner of the bar would say, Coleman, um, with your theater work, this theater stuff you do, you wanna, Sundays are always free. If you wanna use the space, you gotta, I was like, oh, anybody says you can use the space for free, I will use it. Space is so valuable. If you have space, you, you can, can go. <laughs> you can <laughs> rock and roll. <laughs> so I had space, and I had some creativity, and I had, and I had some ideas. So Good. I would make a flyer, and I had people come and hear this thing that I was creating called a boy and a soul. It was a soul, and I, I realized it's a solo play. And you know, the more that you just keep doing it and keep putting it out there, people come on board. It's amazing how those things happen, and then eventually. I did uh, One Night Only at Joe's Pub. Mm -hmm. um, this is after I did a production of it out in San Francisco. Then One Night Only at Joe's Pub, Doug Abel from the Vineyard came, saw it, loved it, put it in their season. Wow. It, it, was, it was in the same season that opened right before Scottsboro Boys. Uh, so, uh, and so creating opportunities like for myself is very empowering for yourself as well. You're like, wow, I can actually, I can actually create. I don't have to sit and wait on agents and opportunities. I can create those opportunities. And now I'm taking it a step further. I'm like, I can create opportunities for other people. I can actually create something for people that I know. Like, I'm like, wait a minute. Sharon and I have been friends in Scottsboro Boys, and, and she would come to my apartment and just read some, because I only had, I thought it was written for women. women. We were away in, um, at the Guthrie Theater doing Scottsboro Boys. And I thought I wrote a role for two women. She came down and read it, and I was like, huh, that's very interesting and theatrical. And so she, that's how Sharon Washington laid claim into this role. She just really claimed it. And, um, and so the opportunity to develop for other people is even more... Um, thrilling for me to see people in a different light that and also like with this role for Sharon Washington I know that no one has ever seen her in this light and I thought wow this is I've really written a tour de force for an actress and um, and I hope that it's funny because I'm writing a, a new play you probably you know I'm gonna ask you probably read it at some point too mm -hmm. that probably has about seven women in it wow seven African American women in it because That's also great. I think I've never seen a play like that about dealing with themes of a, a family and love mm -hmm and the, this very female household. And I don't know what, what it is about me writing. I feel like I write stronger roles for women than I do for men. I, I'm realizing that I could, I could be that playwright, that I'm like, maybe it's because I, um, my, my love and passion for and the, the, the women who raised me, you mm -hmm. know what I mean? Maybe that's it, that I want to tell their stories because mm -hmm. I, don't, I don't see enough of their stories. And then also, I want to see more uh, phenomenal, multi-dimensional roles for black women. I always want to see that. I can say that you know? watching, um, just as an actress, um, knowing that, um, God forgive me, I didn't see Scott's Pearl It's voice. okay, yeah. Sharon, she had one line. But she had one line because <laughs> right. I did, because I was asked to audition for it. Yeah. And I said to myself, I don't want to spend my time like that. Right. 
And then when I saw Sharon do this role, and I knew that it grew out of your relationship during Scottsboro Boys, mm. I said, that for Sharon was an act of faith. Mm -hmm. To sit there and do mm -hmm. that one role, mm -hmm. it was an act of faith mm -hmm. in her work mm -hmm. that now it manifested it into a tour de force mm -hmm. where she's playing <laughs> everything. <laughs> and, and, you, and, and, she, Cinderella. and Cinderella. And she is the muse of the play. Yeah, she is. That's a great expression. In this uh, that's exactly what she is. And I saw, and like I would see little, you know, Facebook, little tweets of pictures you were taking of Sharon. And I was like, I can always tell by how a photographer treats a person mm -hmm. if they see their humanity. Mm -hmm. And I was like, wow, he's really seeing her. Mm -hmm. He's really getting her. Mm -hmm. Because these were images of Sharon that, that, that were so seen. sexual mm -hmm. and so free and so mm -hmm. womanly. And mm -hmm. I was like... Oh, he's I, and I and I thought, well, he has a little obsession with. Her. I said, you know, he likes her, whatever. And then when I saw this play, I got it. I said, he, she is his muse. Yes. And um, she really, and she really has become that. It is a, it is such a, it was so inspiring for me to see that that came from doing one line for so long, hmm. that this relationship was born of that, mm -hmm. because it is like she showed up, she did the work. She was ready. Yes. She her instrument yes. was ready mm -hmm. for the gift. Yes. You yes. know? Yes. Wow. Wow. It's awesome. You gotta have her down here. You, I you did, know. I wanna do her too. You totally have to because I don't yeah. think we've had some great conversations and Sharon, especially where she is in her uh, um her journey as an actress as well, is I think in an exceptional place. It's like where she's been doing this quietly for so long. And people are like, have I seen you? And she's been doing things, and she's always been the, the, the you know, the, the heavy, the, the, the simple woman, the simple, you know, all, all, right, except, but also, like, with not a lot of lights on her. Yeah. And now the lights have been turned up, and there's no, and I'm, I'm just excited to see what she does now, because it's like, because you can't turn that back. We just keep turning it up, and we're like, and, you know, I see her, you know, we're at a um, uh, uh, piano lesson, and she wore this purple dress, and it's curvaceous, and gorgeous and hair out and I'm like, yes, yes, Sharon, let, yes, be that. Yes. Be, be all that. We, we understand that you're, you're multidimensional. You're, you're, yes. You have brains, you have beauty, you're talented and you, it's okay. And also the, to know that it's okay because I think that Sharon for a long time didn't know if it was okay to, to it was always uh, a humility with acting. Yes. And I think that, yes, we must be humble servants to the work, but I also think that it's okay to let your light shine. We can't let our light, we have to let, yes, let our light shine. And, let, and also for other, we, we want, uh, when I see you, I'm like, I want your light to shine. I want, I want you to be a shining example and to be in your joy and in your gift, to not to be dim. And I think for years she had been dim and now the lights are all turned on. I am, and, and this, is, this is why, this is what I love about being in New York is that right under our nose, we have access to this level of talent. We live in the same freaking building. building. <laughs> I mean, that is awesome. Mm. All, of, all three of us live yes, in the same building. Yes, I know. Building. It's great. We're going to have to have a... Maybe we can all chat together, too. Yes. Sometime, you know, just yeah. So I want to thank you on behalf of my audience all over the world. Please go to Coleman Domingo's website. Go see his work. He is an awesome audience. You can awesome, follow, you, awesome you, artist. You can follow me on Twitter, too. Yes. Oh, yeah, Twitter. You know, yeah, Twitter. That's just called Coleman Domingo. There's no Ian Coleman. It's Coleman Domingo. You know, we can become a Twitter family. 
Yes. Thank yeah. you. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. You truly were inspiring. Exactly. Truly. Mm -hmm. Oh, you so much, sweetie. Oh, what a blessing. Thank you. It's great Yay. just connecting shit with you like this. It's great. Uh, 